What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. This is episode 189, and we're continuing our season preview here. I'll be doing half of this episode, uh, and on my side of this episode, we'll be talking about a lot of Denver Metro teams in 5A, and then Cody will do the second half of this episode covering some teams as well and on our season previews we talk about other season last year graduating players slash transferring players key players to look out for this year and then we go ahead and predict the record and give them a window of wins aka we talk about how many wins or the range of wins we predict each team to have for this 2022 season And so, let's go ahead and hop into this one talking about Denver East. So last year for Denver East, they went 3-7 in the regular season. Uh, The record doesn't really reflect how good this team was because there were definitely a lot of toss-up games. To start the season, they lost to Columbine 42-21. Then they played a tough Pine Creek team 28-0. Lost to Legacy 35-7. Lost a relatively close one to Rock Canyon 42-27. Uh, or sorry, beat Rock Canyon 42-27, to excuse me, then lost to Cherokee Trail 41-7, uh, lost to Overland in a close one 14-10, beat Rangeview 27-6, beat Hinkley 56-0, taking care of business, lost Prairie View by 1, 28-27, and then lost to Far Northeast Warriors 21-19. There was definitely, you know, there is definitely hopes for them to make the playoffs if they won those last two games you know they would have been at 500 and they would have been at a pretty good spot there also beating overland would have won a long way in their playoff hopes but unfortunately you know it just did not go they their way and you know they had a losing season here but still had a very talented team here and that started with their senior quarterback at the time Dylan Wigglesworth he was a three-year starter for them Uh, last year passed for 1,241 yards 10 touchdowns to six picks really picked it up near the end of the season though Um, but on top of that they're losing Isaiah Davis he was their starting running back who rushed for 605 yards and six touchdowns also caught 37 receptions for 425 yards and two touchdowns and then had 26 tackles starting at corner so there you go then they're losing Alberto, or a.k.a. Berto uh, Zepeda. He led at receiver with 513 receiving yards and 5 touchdowns. Also started at safety and had 39 tackles and a pick. And then this one's a big one. They're losing their big defensive end, Mohamed Altayeb. Um, excuse me if I'm saying that wrong, but he started at defensive end and actually led the team in tackles with 90 and led the team in sacks with five so that's a big loss up front and then on top of that they're losing their uh backup running back he was going to be the starting running back this year but he actually transferred to vista peak prep in daquan mclennan uh, at running back, rushed for 429 yards and 5 touchdowns. He also had a huge 139-yard, 1-touchdown game against Rock Canyon. And so he was going to be probably the lead guy for this Denver East team. But unfortunately, like I said, he has transferred to Vista Peak for his senior year. So that's another huge loss uh, there, losing another guy from your backfield. Uh, on top of that, you know, Denver East is losing 11 of their... 11 top tacklers 
virtually their entire defense from last year's graduating. You have a couple rotational guys who got snaps on varsity and started who will be coming back, but they're virtually losing their entire defense. So a lot to replace here. Now, I have two key players for this Denver East team, and this is going to be a very young green Denver East team, despite both of these guys being upperclassmen that I'm about to talk about. But number one, Ben Wigglesworth, he will be a senior this year at quarterback. Got a couple snaps last year, um, you know, as a backup and whatnot to, I'm assuming, his brother. Got to look at his film. It looked pretty good. He made some very good throws that I like, you know, in time, on rhythm, uh, both the deep and medium. So there's definitely potential there. You know, this year, he will get the chance to be the full-time starter. And honestly, I'm very high on Wigglesworth here. I think he'll be a very good quarterback for them. Uh, but they are losing a lot. So if his numbers aren't as great um, compared to his brothers from last year or in previous years, I mean, you got to look at the team around him. But I think he'll be a lone bright spot. And not it's never a bad thing to be, uh, you know, starting a senior at quarterback. They have that leadership um, and they're a little bit more mature as well, and so that's not a bad thing to have a bit more of a mature guy out there as one of your leaders. So, there you go. That's Ben Wigglesworth. Like I said, go ahead and take a look at his film. He showed plenty of flashes, and I mean plenty of flashes, uh, at quarterback, showing that he's more than capable of not only being a good quarterback, but potentially a great one. So, keep an eye out there. And then another guy to look out for here is Deveron Toppin Jr. He got some snaps at corner last year, so look to see him contribute there and kind of be the starter. Um, I think he was one of the main starters over there. Like I said, you know, in that DB group, they rotate him. And obviously, you're going to play more than three DBs, two DBs, so there you go. But he's going to be returning some valuable experience there. And he'll probably be one of the lead receivers for the squad as well. Uh, most of the receivers from last year for Denver East are graduating. I think they're graduating like at least two or three. So he's going to be able to step in. I mean, he's an excellent athlete. And he could definitely be a very good two-way player. So there you go. Those are the two, those are the two players to look out for for Denver East. They definitely have more players there but not as many players with a varsity experience and those are the guys i really wanted to talk about here like i said this is going to be an extremely young team um at the very least a very inexperienced and green team so there you go but let's go ahead and predict the record here starting with fort collins Honestly, I'm going to predict this one as a dub. That might come as a surprise to some, but I think it'll be a close game between the two teams uh, that are basically graduating the majority of their core from last year. And so I'm going to give Denver East the edge here because of Wigglesworth and the potential I saw last year. I think he could really get after this Fort Collins defense. Don't get it twisted, though. This might be a close one. You know, Fort Collins, they are returning a couple players, but I just don't think it'll be enough to bring it together and beat this Denver East team. After that, though, they hit a little bit of a tough part of their schedule. They play Denver South. I think this is going to be a loss. This Denver South team is extremely experienced and extremely talented. It's it's going to be a tough matchup for sure, regardless of how you cut it. Uh, but that Denver South team is going to be one of the top teams in the state, in my opinion. Then they play Rock Canyon. I think this will be a hard-fought game. 
but I'm really concerned about how green this defense is. And Rock Canyon, they're returning their running back, Aiden Duda, who ran for 155 yards and two touchdowns uh, on last year's Denver East team. And so I think realistically here, Rock Canyon should edge out Denver East. I mean, Aiden Duda, he's going to do his thing. You have DeAndre Horn over there as well. You know, just a little bit too much experience for this Denver East squad. Players are going to have to step up if they want to win this game. Players who haven't had as much of varsity experience last year or in the last couple years. So there you go. Then they play Pine Creek. That's tough. They're a contender in 5A. And I just don't think Denver East is really in that, you know, ranking as of right now. And so I'm going to predict that one as a loss. But then they play North Glen. I think this will be a dub. Uh, North Glen, they are returning some players on defense. They're also losing their starting quarterback from last year. And while having a ton of skill players over there, I'm giving this one to East because I just think they have the better quarterback. Also, I like Denver East's program and their coaching staff a little bit more. I think they could go ahead and prepare their boys for that game easily. Then they play Doherty uh, after that. And Doherty, they're returning an experienced core on offense. I talked about them in the very first season preview episode that we had. If you want to check that out and check out what I had to say about Doherty. But, you know, uh, look, defensively, I think they may struggle against that Doherty core. Uh, that's going to be opt opportunistic. You know, that's a core that had experience playing with each other last year for a full year. You know, and they went through they went through the grinder uh, last year because every team they played was a playoff team. And so this year, not every team they're going to play was a playoff team from last year. And so I think this core is going to be experienced, battle-hardened. They're going to be ready for a very green Denver East team. So there you go. Then Denver East, they play Overland. Uh, look, Overland is kind of a team I had a difficult time getting a vibe on. I will talk about them later on in this episode, so I won't talk about them too much. But I'm just going to say I trust this Denver East team to shape up on defense by this point in the season because it'll be roughly around the midway point here. And, you know, find a way to get it done and avenge last year's close loss. Now, don't get it twisted. Overland, they got some talent over there. They have a transfer quarterback coming in. You know, they're gonna be they're gonna be a little tough for Denver East. So it still will be a close one. But I'm gonna trust Denver East to avenge that loss from last year and go ahead and get it done here. And I'm looking at Wigglesworth to lead this team here on offense and take advantage of a Overland team that will be a little bit greener. So there you go. Then they play Westminster and. I, look, Westminster, they're returning a little bit more of their core. I think this should be a competitive game. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know really what to expect from this Denver East team at this point. I don't know if they could play at a super high level. If they can, then I think they easily beat Westminster here. But if they get into a shootout, I think Westminster takes this one. And so I'm going to give them the slight edge, Westminster, that is, in this one. But this is definitely a toss-up game and a winnable game that Denver East could win. Then they play Mountain Range. That should be a pretty easy dub there. A nice dub to end the season. Then you could go ahead and take care of business there. So all together, my predicted record 
for Denver East is four and five with a window of wins anywhere between two and five. Look, Denver East, they're getting hit very hard by graduation and by transfer. You know, their entire defense is basically gone outside of a couple players. Along with the core of their offense from last year, their entire backfield has graduated or transferred. And so this year will be all about seeing what this team has outside of quarterback because I know what he could do. And it will be a learning year for the most part. I like Wigglesworth, their quarterback, but he will have to play at an extremely high level for Denver East to reach 500 or go over it. But we'll see how this season goes and all that. You never know. But players are definitely going to have to step up that haven't had varsity experience the last couple of years. So there you go. Alright, now let's move on and talk about a team that was one of Denver East's opponents from last year, and that is the Far Northeast Warriors. Last year, went 5-5, 0-1 in playoffs. They did make the playoffs here. Um, but here's how their season went. Lost to Thunder Ridge, 47-0 to start. Beat Monarch, 30-6. Then lost to Cherokee Trail in a relatively close one, 28-14. Uh, lost to Westminster in another close one, 20-16 beat or lost sorry didn't beat lost the legacy 40 to 7 then they beat prairie view 21 13 beat overland in a close one 25 22 lost to rangeview 28 to 10 then beat hinkley 49 to 6 and beat denveries 21 to 19 that was enough to go ahead and put them in the playoffs overall the teams in their league where they lost to columbine unfortunately in the first round 56 to 0 now Let's talk about some of the graduating players uh, for this far northeast team. We have Andy Martinez and James Arietti, I want to say. Um, both of them played quarterback last year uh, as seniors. Martinez went for 853 yards, threw six touchdowns to three picks, while uh, Arietti here went for 228 yards, two touchdowns to three interceptions. Both of those guys will be missed uh, since they both got the majority of the snaps at quarterback. This next guy here, you know, really didn't get a whole bunch of experience for them at QB. And so that might be a bit of a problem and whatnot. So just keep an eye out there. Um, but talking about other seniors here, Ben McCall, he was their leader in picks. He had three. He also had 12 tackles. They're also losing. Uh, I want to say it's Deviantes Thomas. He was a lead tackler and a co-sack leader. Had 58 tackles. And then last but not least, they're really only losing two of their top 11 tacklers from last year. Returning a pretty experienced defense and a lot of their core skill players. And so let's talk about him here. Starting with their star, Dramani. Jackson, in my opinion, extremely underrated. He was the lead rusher for this team with 703 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns on the ground. He was also a threat uh, through the air, had 32 receptions for 562 receiving yards and five receiving touchdowns. And then on defense, was one of the top tacklers with 66 tackles and two picks and as a senior he's looking to be one of the best athletes in the entire state i mean his film is pretty phenomenal here you know i really hope to watch him in person one time and get a closer look but he is definitely just one of those athletes that are built different speaking of athletes that are built different we have antavius hughes he was the second leading back in this backfield with uh 594 rushing yards and three touchdowns 
also contributed his share of tackles with 23 there. You also have Aaron Banks. He was the second leading receiver behind uh, DeMonte or Draymonte Jackson here, but he snagged 29 receptions for 365 yards and three touchdowns. I believe he actually just got an offer as well, so, so congratulations to him. He's a great athlete. Also plays safety where he snagged 47 tackles. This senior should be due for another productive year and help out the next starting quarterback you know he's just a good athlete out there to have that receiver so that's a plus you also have emmett anderson he was a contributor in the backfield with 224 yards four rushing touchdowns but he was the lead tackler for this far northeast team at middle linebacker with 68 tackles and two six at 5'11", 200. Uh, his senior year, you should continue to see him improve and take steps forward. He will be the leader or one of the leaders of this defense and this squad. And then you also have Russell Patton as a sophomore. He was one of the top uh, tacklers for this team with 66. Uh, this young leader should be returning with a lot more upside with an uh, offseason under his belt. And then last but not least, you have Jeremiah Imani Jr., he got a couple snaps as a freshman. I know, you know, I was talking about quarterbacks. I said those two quarterbacks basically dominated the snap count. Now, Imani Jr. here, he did get get a couple of snaps here. I'm going to assume he's going to start next year at quarterback or at least get a chance to start next year at quarterback. And so we will see how well he does. But just keep out uh, an eye out for that name. So there you go. You know, Far Northeast, they have a lot of key players here. Let's predict the record here. Um, they play Westminster to start. I think that's a dub. Last year's game was a close one, and I wouldn't be surprised if this year's game was or will be as well. But Far Northeast, they're returning a lot of playmakers on both sides of the ball. And while Westminster is losing a number of skill players, uh, although they are returning their quarterback, you know, Far Northeast, in my opinion, should take care of business and uh, be able to run the ball here and really, really, like I said, just be able to take care of them. After that, they pull a Vista Ridge, and as much as I'd like to pick for Northeast, uh, this Vista Ridge team is going to have a top offense of the state, led by four-star quarterback Braden Dorman. Now, it'll be interesting to see how some of these far Northeast DBs uh, do face-to-face -face with these Vista Ridge receivers, but this is a very deep Vista Ridge wide receiving crew here. And, you know, this is also a Vista Ridge defense that could help shut down this far northeast team, at least the running game. And then, you know, whatever quarterback they throw back there, he's going to be inexperienced. And this Vista Ridge team is well coached, so I'm going to have to predict this one as a loss. But they play Gateway the next week, so they should get a good dub here. Uh, this will be a good opportunity for the young quarterback to gain confidence as well. Just want to say that. After that, they play Longmont, and actually, I'm going to predict this one as a dub for Far North East, and this may come as a surprise to some here, but look, Longmont is not only losing key pieces to their All-State offense, but they're losing a number of players on defense. This may be a close game, but I'm giving them the edge because I really like Jackson, Hughes, and Banks against this Longmont team that, let's face it, you know, they're facing a rebuilding year after losing so many great players here. And so I think this is a great opportunity for Far Northeast to go ahead and collect a dub here. Will not come easy. Longmont, you know, they have a great tradition over there, a great program. They're going to make them work for it, but I think Far Northeast can make this happen. 
Then, though, Far Northeast does play Pueblo West, and I think this is going to be a loss. Uh, Pueblo West, very similar to Vista Ridge, in my opinion. And so I think, unfortunately, they dropped this one. The only way I could see them winning is if their quarterback is confident slash comfortable enough to go toe-to-toe with this explosive Pueblo West offense. You know, but that's kind of asking a lot out of a young quarterback here. On top of that, the defense will have their hands full here, and they're going to have to make plays if they want to beat Pueblo West. And so, for now, I'm going to predict that one as a loss. No worries, though. They play Pueblo Central the next week. I think this is a dub. Um, this is actually a game that recently got added on. And so, if you go back and look at my Pueblo Central uh, season preview from a couple weeks ago, I didn't really talk about it because this game wasn't scheduled yet. So, I'm just going to say I think this will be a very good battle between skill positions in this one. Uh, not Probably not going to see a quarterback battle, but it's going to be a battle between running backs, receivers, I am going to give this one to Far Northeast, though, because, in my opinion, they are a 5A-level program. Pueblo Central, they are 3A, I believed. And so I'm looking for this experienced defense to go ahead and take care of Pueblo Central, who do have some questions up front. Now, they have the skill players. Don't get it twisted. They are talented uh, with their skill players. But their line is a little suspect to me. I need to see a little bit more from them. And so I look towards far northeast to go ahead and take control of the line of scrimmage and have the running game win them this game here after that game though they played george washington look george washington they got some guys in marcellus honeycutt jr and silas evans those are returning their starting quarterback and they have a lot of size on their offensive line I'm going to give this one to George Washington uh, just because, you know, this is going to be a very explosive offense. I know they're a 3A team, but they got plenty of athletes over there. Far Northeast, I mean, they're going to need their quarterback, their young quarterback, to step up for them to win this game. I think that might be a little bit too much pressure to put on a young quarterback there. So there you go. Then they played Thomas Jefferson. That should be a dub. Um, they're a very green team here, Thomas Jefferson. So that should be a dub. After that, they play Ponderosa. Ponderosa, they're going to have a tough defense, in my opinion. Uh, they almost always does. They're returning two very good linebackers who they could easily build around. So there you go. And, you know, on top of that, Ponderosa historically has been very good against run-heavy teams. Peep their schedule from the last year. You know, they... They, they're very disciplined against those guys. And so, in my opinion, the only way Far Northeast wins is if they win up front. And that'll be difficult, you know. Um, if their quarterback could give them a little bit more here, then maybe this game turns into a toss-up game. But for now, I'm giving this one to Ponderosa here. After that, it doesn't get easier. They play Denver South, stopping Joseph Capra, Rashad Caldwell, Chevelle Early. That's a lot to ask out of this defense, and so I think Denver South goes ahead and takes care of Far Northeast here. But to end the season, Far Northeast, they play Vista Peak Prep. Uh, this Vista team is losing quite a bit of talent here. You know, Far Northeast should be able to take advantage of a very young and, young and inexperienced team here and uh, find a way to win. Altogether, my predicted record for Far Northeast is 6-5 and five, with a window of wins anywhere between 5 and 7. Uh, look, this team has a lot of talent and they'll get opportunities to show that off against equally very good talent. Now, unfortunately, there are uh, questions at quarterback. 
you know, which are concerning. And it's mostly just inexperience, to be honest with you. But inexperience is inexperience. They will be playing a number of teams with experienced quarterbacks. And that kind of scares me. I'm not going to lie. And so altogether, in my opinion, they should go 500 with the crew they have here. If the quarterback plays well and, you know, he shows that he's exceptional, maybe they go over 500 and make the playoffs. But for now, I, I think they'll at least go 500 or be close to that. Let's move on, though, and let's talk about Hinkley High School. Had a tough season last year, went 0-9, lost to Erie 64-14, lost to Aurora Central 55-0, lost to Monarch 56-0, uh, Castleview 56-8, Rangeview 55-6, Prairieview 62-0, Denver East 56-0, Far Northeast 49-6, and then Overland 56. No dubs last season. Um, and they are losing some very serious talent here. They're losing uh, their starting quarterback, Juan Dame Davis Jr. He is transferring to Overland, uh, and he was their starting quarterback and arguably their best athlete. So that's a huge loss there. I'm going to talk about more of, of Juan Dame here when we talk about Overland. And they're also losing Keenan Starks. Here's their starting running back from last year and played linebacker as well. And, you know, unfortunately, that's pretty much it because Hinkley has incomplete stats here. I think they stopped taking stats after the third or fourth game of the season. So that's just really, really unfortunate. But I did the research I can and did find some key players to look out for. Yeah, Frank Tafua. Uh, he's a 6'3", 200-pound tight end, DT, outside linebacker. You know the vibe. He was one of the main targets in the passing game from last year at tight end. And I would would have considered him a security blanket. And he also, you know, he has some size up front. So he will help out that Hinkley front seven. Then you have Tatum Starks. This two-way athlete is a big-time contributor on defense. While um, he's probably most likely also going to be a starting running back and the lead guy there as well while playing corner slash DB on the other side of the ball. And so those are the two guys that I want you to look out for for Hinkley. Like I said, other than that, there's just not a lot of information or stats to go off of them. I mean, this is a team that went 0-9 and... Uh, you know, it's that's losing their starting quarterback as well, who is talented. That doesn't really help the case of a team that went 0-9 last year. And so I'm just going to be honest here. With Hinkley, I think the only teams I could really see them beating is Palmer and Gateway. Maybe that Liberty game ends up being a winnable game. But other players are just going to have to step up here. And so my predicted record for Hinkley is 2-9 with a window of wins anywhere between 1 and 4. Look, realistically, I don't think they're going to go winless. I think there are worse teams out there. But honestly, the only teams I could see them possibly beating is Mountain Range, Liberty, Gateway, and Palmer. Other than that, I really don't think they're going to win all four of those games or even you know three i think at best they maybe win two of those games and honestly i think the season's going to be a struggle especially without their starting quarterback from last year players are going to have to step up you know this is a hinkley program that just had a very bad year last year this year you have a new slate you have an easier schedule we'll see if they could build upon wins this upcoming season so there you go all right let's move on though let's talk about overland high school last year won five and five Lost to Smoky Hill 47-8, Eagle Crest 41-6, Grandview 28-0, Cherokee Trail 35-8 to start the season. 
But then they beat Wheat Ridge 41-0, beat Denver East in a close one, 14-10. Then lost to Far Northeast in a close one here, 25-22. Then beat Prairie View 42-29, beat Range View 6-0. And then beat Hinkley 50-6, just barely missed out on playoffs. Now, I'm going to be honest, this is another program where the stats are incomplete. They have a couple stats filled out from the first two games. Then after that, or first couple games, then after that, they stop taking them. Teams, please take your stats. It helps us out. It helps give the viewers slash listeners something to go off of. So, there you go. That's your uh, weekly stat reminder there. But, let me go ahead and list the seniors they're losing. They're losing Christopher Lindsay and Khalil Ali Fisher as their starting running backs. They're list- or, they're also missing Jamil Humphrey. Keanu Roberson and Scooter Thomas from this receiving core. They're also losing at least two linemen and based on that it looks like they're losing a good majority of their defense from last year. They had a very senior heavy defense. Now here are some key players to look out for starting with their transfer quarterback one name Davis Jr. If I'm saying that wrong Please correct me. I'd like to. I'd like to know because I hope to go to a couple of his games here. But he was an excellent dual threat for Hinkley last year. You know, showed a lot of promise as a thrower, and he was an elite rusher and scrambler of the football. And I mean elite. He'll most likely be stepping. Well, he will be stepping into a much better football situation here with Overland where he could thrive and have more skill players. So look out for him. I don't know if he's going to be the starting quarterback because they do have a starting quarterback returning and whatnot here in Kamari Owens. And speaking of Owens, you know, he seemed to be the guy at quarterback last year. He'll probably get a chance to defend his uh, starting position, but I wouldn't be surprised if they at least, you know, put together some scrambling packages for one name Davis Jr. here. So keep an eye on that quarterback battle. It will be very interesting to see what Overland decides to do there. Then you have Curtis Bunton. He's a wide receiver and defensive back. He'll probably be the wideout one for this squad while holding down the secondary with his experience there. And then last but not least, you have Sir Joyner. Will be returning in the second door, secondary at cornerback. And he returns quite a bit of experience since he was a starter from last year. He will also potentially get a touches at running back and probably be the starter for them this year. So keep an out. Uh, keep an eye out for those key players for Overland. Now, let's predict the record against Mountain Vista. Mountain Vista, they're a young squad, but they're extremely tough. That's a tough game to pull here, and so I'm predicting that one as a loss. Then they play Grandview, another contender here. Uh, even tougher than Mountain Vista, some may say, and so I'm going to predict that one as a loss. Then they play Prairie View. Prairie View, they're losing a lot of their players from last year. Um who are close in beating this Overland team. I'm going to give them credit there. But this will be a very green team on both sides of the ball. I think Overland should go ahead and take care of business again this year, especially with options at quarterback. So there you go. After that, you got Smoky Hill. I'm predicting this one as a dub for Smokey. They're returning a lot of that defense that took care of Overland last year. Plus, they're boasting a pretty underrated offensive line that has made improvements in the offseason. And, you know, despite Smokey Hill losing their starting running back in Marvin Jones, they have Tyleek Bowers, their quarterback. He will be a senior this year, and he's poised for a very good year. So there you go. Then they play Heritage. 
I think this one will be a loss. Um, Heritage had a horribly tough schedule last year, so you can't really look at their record and be like, oh, they just suck, you know, because they had a tough schedule um, for a very young squad as well. And so that defense over there for Heritage will be very experienced and battle-hardened. Overland, they're going to need to get a lot out of their offense to beat this team, and I think they can. You know, I think this is definitely a winnable game, but I'm giving Heritage the slight edge right here. Just slight. Definitely a flippable game. After that, they play Grand Junction. I think this should be a dub. Uh, Grand Junction, they have experience, but I trust Overland at this point in the season to be ready to take them on as a team. Probably will be a hard-fought battle, but I think, honestly... Uh, Juan Dame Davis, he could definitely burn them a little bit, give uh, you know, give them a different look, you know, on offense or I guess Grand Junction would be on defense. And I think with that being said, that will be a little bit of a mismatch, and Overland should get the dub here. Then they play Westminster. I think both of these teams are pretty similar, but Overland they're returning a little bit more offensive firepower, and since both defenses are, are relatively green. In my opinion, I think it's up to the Overland offense to win them this game, and I think they can. After that, they play Denver East, another close matchup here. I think Denver East, like I said, uh, they have a quarterback of their own in Wigglesworth, who I'm trusting to go ahead and outshoot this Overland team, but I think it'll be a close one, though, and I think it'll come down to whether these DBs can stop the Denver East passing attack. Also, I think it's up to the Overland passing attack and seeing what they could do against this young Denver East team. I'm going to give this one to Denver East just because I think they have the better quarterback as of right now. But this is definitely another winnable game and flippable game for Overland. Um, so, there you go. Then they play Mountain Range. I think that should be a dub against Mountain Range. There should be no excuses when it comes to losing to them. And then to end the season, they play Doherty. Uh, look, I predicted this one as a toss-up game. You know, I think these teams are in very similar spots and they have very similar offensive talent uh, level-wise, you know, but I have Doherty winning this game based off of their core and the success that core found last year together. So there you go. But my predicted record for this Overland team is 4-6 and six, with a window of wins, though. Anywhere between four to seven. I think they could win seven wins at most this upcoming 2022 season. Honestly, I'm really interested to see how this quarterback battle turns out and what the coaching staff decides to do. It was very difficult getting a read on this team, not having any stats to go off of or a whole ton of film to go off of as well. But what I do know is that they have talent here and adding a guy like Wondam Davis Jr. should result in more wins, in my opinion. But for now, I went with some safe picks here, and I picked against Overland in some of these toss-up games. I'm going to acknowledge that. But until I see more, I mean, I, I kind of have to, in my opinion. But I would not be surprised if Overland goes over 500, gets to 7 wins, and makes the playoffs. Alright, let's move on. Let's talk about Prairie View High School here. Last year, went 4-6 to start the season. They lost to Bryden, 34-6. Lost to Pooter, in a close one, by the way, 14-6. Lost to Douglas County, 48-19. Lost to Fairview, 41-0. Then they beat North Glen, 34-9. But then lost to Far Northeast in a close one, 21-31. Beat Hinkley, 62-0. Then lost to Overland in probably a closer game than it looks like on the scoreboard, 42-29. Beat Denver East in a thriller in a close one, 28-27, and then beat Rangeview 
19. Now let's talk about some of the guys they're graduating. They're graduating Caleb Thatcher and Elijah Padilla. Um, both of those guys play quarterback for them. Thatcher threw for 336 yards, two touchdowns to seven picks. Padilla threw for 280 yards, five touchdowns, no picks. Also ran for 149 yards and two touchdowns on 22 carries. Padilla did. And then um, Padilla also caught 10 balls for 179 yards and a touchdown. So kind of an all-around athlete there, if you ask me. Then you have Noah Lakembi. He was the lead back last year. Uh, look, the stats are incomplete. They have the majority of the stats from the majority of the games recorded, but they are a little incomplete. So I'm just throwing that out there. But he ran for 306 yards and a touchdown, according to the stats recorded. They're also losing one of their lead receivers, Nathan Peterson. He had 183 yards, 13 receptions for five touchdowns. On top of that, they're losing Lance Lovelace. He was their starting DB and uh, was one of their best. They're also losing Ashton Buckaloo. Uh, in the stats that were recorded, it said he was the lead tackler and middle linebacker. And altogether, this Prairie View defense had a pretty senior-heavy defense. So they're losing most of their starters except for a handful from last year so that's kind of tough now let me talk about the key players and i do want to shout out this prayer view team they helped us out you know gave us intel and i just want to say you know if you're a team out there and you want to give us some intel about your squad go for it give us dms we are open to it and we will give you a shout out on the podcast and be thankful for it in the long run here but i do want to shout out this prayer view team they did give me a couple names to work with here because this will be a pretty young prayer view squad you got a lot of guys who uh didn't get a whole ton of i guess snaps last year and so this year you know it'll be their first time really getting consistent uh, snaps as the starter and so it'll be really exciting and so let me start with their starting quarterback Kunio Ishima um, my apologies if I've said that wrong I actually got to see him at team full gorilla tryouts last year I believe I actually got to meet him as well but he will be the starter on varsity this year uh, at TFG tryouts had a very solid outing you know definitely saw a lot of potential there and so I think he's going to bring some stability to this quarterback position and probably surprise some people so i'm just gonna throw out that name you know uh he will be a young quarterback i believe he will be a junior yep junior going into his first season as the starting quarterback and so keep an eye out for him he's a pretty talented guy out there then you got colton lance he will be the lead back for this uh team this year had a few carries last year and had success with the few carries he was given last year. Uh, specifically against North Glenn, he only had four carries, but he went for 66 yards and a touchdown. Uh, versus Hinkley, only had four carries, but he went for 54 yards and a touchdown. Imagine him as the full-time uh, starting running back. You know, there you go. I think he's going to have a very good year and give this Prairie View team a lot of production. Uh, look for a breakout year from Colton Lance. Then you got Jaden Moultrie and Favion Aviez. Um, these two will be starting on defense and they're going to be looked at as the leaders of this defense starting over there. A defense that is losing a lot of experience and so look to those two guys stepping up in the spots of some of these seniors from last year. And then last but not least, you have Troy 
Lindroth. He got hurt pretty early on last year and was out for most of the season is how I gathered it. But he did get playtime on varsity and he is one of the few varsity players returning on defense. And so look to him to produce a lot of pressure off the edge. He is an edge rusher and he should be a player to look out for. He will be a junior this year. And like I said, bring some good experience to this defense. Um, definitely somebody to look out for as a pass rusher. Now, let's go ahead and predict this record here for Prairie View to start the season that plays Silver Creek. I'm predicting this one as a dub. I think this is a winnable game for this team. Now, they're going to need to be sharp offensively to start, but against a Silver Creek team that is losing a lot, I think Prairie View can make it work. It'll be a close one. Silver Creek, they have a lot of size up front, plus an exceptional junior running back. But other than that, they're losing a lot of guys. And so I think Prairie View goes ahead and gets a little bit of an upset here and edges them out. After that, they play Overland. I just talked about Overland here. Overland, they're not losing as much experience as Prairie View. So I'm going to give it to the team with more experience. That's just how I evaluate these things. Um, definitely, potentially could be a closer game. But at the end of the day, you know, when you have a close game, in my opinion... It either comes down to experience or talent. Talent-wise, I think they're a little similar. I think Prairie View has a little bit more potential talent-wise, but Overland has more experience. They've been in situations like this before, so I'm going to give it to them. Then they play Pooter. Last year's game was close, but I think this year uh, they could actually win this one, and so I'm going to predict them to win this one. But last year felt like the offense just wasn't as established. There are some questions here and there. I think that's the opposite for this team this year. I think they know who their starters are. They know their identity, and so I am going to go ahead and predict this one as a dub for Prairie View. I'm going to be honest, though. A little concerned about this defense, but... Pooter is losing the back that basically won them this game. And so maybe the preview defense gets a little bit of a breather here. So there you go. Definitely a game Pooter could win, though. Just going to throw that out there. So it's going to be a tough one. After that, they play Westminster. I think this should be a dub. This should be a game where they take care of business straight up. Then they play North Glen. I mean, they blew out this team last year. That probably won't happen this year. Prairie View is losing quite a bit. But I still think they are the better program. And they should find a way to get it done with the talent they have. Also, by the way, this was a game where Colts and Lance went off in last year. So just keep that in mind. And so with all that being said, I think Colts and Lance could have a repeat performance. If not, a lot better against North Glen and go ahead and beat them. So there you go. After that, they play Brighton. That's a tough team. I think that's going to be a loss. This Brighton defense is returning quite a bit. And they should be, be able to take care of an offense that is not as experienced. Um, just going to throw this out there. Brighton's offense are replacing a lot. So it can be a winnable game. But I think their defense is really going to carry in this one. Then they play Legacy. This is another defense that will be returning a number of starters that dominated teams like Denver East, who, you know, Prairie View played last year. They are losing playmakers, though, in Braylon Tate, Mason Dickerson, uh, Braden Keith. And so that will result in this game being a little bit closer. But I think ultimately, though, Legacy, they go ahead and take care of Prairie View, take care of business. Definitely a game that, you know, I could see Prairie View winning, but... Legacy, I mean, this defense is going to be good. So, there you go. 
Then they play Rangeview. Uh, this should be a dub. Last year's game was close, and although they are returning Patterson, Rangeview is um, who went crazy on this Prairie View defense. I think by this point, this Prairie View offense should be in a very good spot, and they should be clicking. And I think they're a little bit more of a complete team anyways, and they should be able to beat Rangeview here. Then they play Mullen. This may not be the Mullen of old, but this is a tough Mullen team that is bringing back a lot of exceptional players, a lot of size, and they are very deep. This Mullen team is going to be better than last year. And so, look, I'm just going to predict this one as the loss for Prairie View. I think this Mullen team, they're going to be bringing back a lot of athletes. And this is a game that Mullen should win. If they don't, you know, I think it'll be an upset. Then they play Horizon. Uh, this will be another difficult matchup. But by the end of the season, this team may be different. Uh, both teams, Preview and Horizon. For Horizon, my biggest thing with them, I want to see if, if they could stay healthy. If they can't stay healthy, I think they have a top 5 offense and 5A. Probably. You know, if they can't, uh, you know, we'll see. I'm going to assume they stay healthy and go ahead and knock on wood here. Um, and if they can, I think they can be Prairie View and get the dub uh, because of their top tier offense. If they can't, though, and they do have some injuries, plus put, you know, you got to consider that this Prairie View team has been gelling throughout the season. They're not going to be the same team they were in that first game. I think this could definitely be a dub that Prairie View could win. Another toss up game here, though. But I'm going to predict this one as a loss for Prairie View. Altogether, my predicted record for Prairie View is 5-5 five five with a window of wins anywhere between 4 and 6. Look, Prairie View has a lot of great talent over here, but inexperience is inexperience. I want to see how they gel throughout this season. Like I said, I think this is going to be a team that's going to be very different if you compare this team at the start of the season to the team they're going to be at the end of the season and so I think they're going to get significantly better as the season goes on. Uh, look to these young stars to build on their success game after game. I think that'll be key. Regardless, I think it's fair to say they'll finish close to 500. A lot of toss-up games, games that you know maybe they feel like they should win or games that kind of just get away. Uh, and then there's going to be games that they straight up win. Regardless, like I said, it's going to be a learning year for Prairie View. They're going to be a very young team, but I do think they have a good amount of talent over there. So, there you go, there. Alright, let's move on though. Let's talk about the last team I'm going to talk about on this episode before I go ahead and throw this one back to Cody here. And that is Rangeview High School. Last year won 3-7. Start the season, they lost to Vista Peak 32-14. Horizon 43-22. Uh, Castleview 52-21. Bounced back, beat Mountain Range 36-6, then lost to Mountain Vista 52-22. Beat Hinkley after that 55-6, then lost to Denver East 27-6. Then beat Far Northeast 28-10, that's interesting if you look at the dubs between all these teams here. Beat, or sorry, lost to Overland in a close one 6-0. Then they lost to Prairie View in another close one. 21 to 19 so some very close games in those league games there uh they are graduating a couple of seniors here including their starting quarterback i think it's kiari stewart excuse me if i'm saying that wrong but he threw for 383 yards five touchdowns eight picks also rushed for about 200 yards and eight rushing touchdowns they're losing their second leading running back in donovan cooks who ran for 801 yards and five touchdowns also caught for 82 yards and a touchdown. They're losing Demario Williams, who I actually had as an honorable mention 
four cornerbacks here, uh, cornerbacks slash safeties. He was very exceptional. He was uh, also the lead receiver for this team with 101 yards and two touchdowns. And like I said, one of the best DBs in the state with 73 tackles and three picks. A lot of speed over there as well. And then they're losing Elijah Jameson. He was one of their starting linemen. Uh, got 55 tackles for them on the year. Altogether, range view, they're losing eight of their top 11 tacklers. They're also losing two or three offensive linemen on this squad there. So they're they're getting hit pretty hard here. Uh, and But you got to also keep in mind, this was a team that went three and seven. So there you go. Now, key players to look out for. This one is going to be an absolute star. He was an absolute star last year, despite, you know, Rangeview not having a great season. But Armani Patterson is a name you absolutely need to look out for. As a junior, rushed for 1,188 yards and 9 touchdowns. He went over 100 rushing yards in 8 of the 10 games they played last season. He's an absolute star and stud for this team that will be losing a lot. Look for him to be kind of the leader of this team and the lead guy for this team on offense here. I mean, it's not every day. You could say, you know, running back rushed for 100 or for over 100 yards, eight of their 10 games. And then, you know, you look at the record and they won three and seven. It's not every day you could say that. And so that should show how special of a running back he is. Then you have Nasir Simmons. He was one of the few defenders, uh, or he will be one of the few defenders returning for this team at DB. Uh, as a junior, had 46 tackles. Look for him to step up. You also have Amitrius Ricks. This incoming junior defensive end had 26 tackles and 3 sacks. Look for him to have a bigger role on this team now that most of the defense has graduated. Now, let me go ahead and predict this record here. It's going to be a little bit of a tough year for Rangeview here, but they do have talent. Uh, against Heritage, I think it's going to be a loss. This Heritage team is improving, and they should be able to get a dub right here, Heritage, that is. Then you got Vista Peak. I think this one's going to be a loss, but it should be a closer game than last year. Vista Peak is turning more on defense than Rangeview is. Um, and also, you got to keep in mind, you know, Vista Peak, that was one of the games where they held Patterson below 100 yards. That was one of the two times that happened this season. And so, I think if they could do that, then Vista Peak could get the dub here. Now, if he goes over 100 yards and, you know, he's running all over them, this could be a dub for Rangeview. Just going to say that. Then they play Westminster. I think this is a dub for Rangeview. Uh, could be a little bit of a toss-up game, but I see Patterson just taking over and having a signature game, and it should be an excellent one. So there you go. This Rangeview defense, though, they need to step it up and do their part. If they don't and it turns into a shootout, then I think Westminster could win. But for now, I think I'm going to predict this one as a dub. Then they play Douglas County. I think this one's a loss. This D Douglas County team, they're just, they're just returning a more complete offense and team. If they get into a shootout, I just don't think Rangeview could win just with Armani Patterson. After that, they pull Aurora Central. Aurora Central, they have a very talented running back duo along with a defense that, in my opinion, should be able to take care of Rangeview. Then you got Legacy. This Legacy defense, they're going to be strong. Have some questions on offense, but I think they could figure it out. I think this is going to be a loss for Rangeview. Then they play Horizon. This Horizon passing attack, they're going to really challenge the secondary that is not really returning a lot here. And so I'm going to predict this one as a loss for Rangeview. Then they play Prayer View. Um, it's going to be a young Prayer View team that has talent, but if they're not gelled already, this is a game that I think Armani Patterson could definitely take over, especially if Prayer View plays sloppy. 
but I'm gonna give the slight edge to Prairie View here. You know, definitely a little bit of a toss-up game if you're range view here. Um, then they play Bryden. I don't think uh, they could beat this team if Patterson is the only is the only guy that produces on offense. Somebody else on range view needs to be able to free up Patterson. If not, then this Bryden defense is just going to key in, and they're too good of a defense to allow Patterson to win them to win range view this game. Then, last but not least, they play Mullen. Mullen will be very solid, pretty good this year, and they're returning a lot of sides up front, which I think range view will struggle with. And so I think that's going to be a loss. Altogether, my predicted record for range view is one and nine, with the window of wins anywhere between one and three. Now, look, this is a team that I want to believe in, but the loss of this entire defense, uh, well, okay, of the majority of this defense plus whatever they had you know as a part of their passing attack on offense will make it very difficult for them to win too many games here there's going to be a couple toss-up games but those are really only toss-up games because of their star stud running back in armani patterson and you know those are going to be games where patterson he's going to have to win them those games and so I don't think it's going to be enough for them to reach 500, which is a shame because I do think they have a stud in Patterson. It's going to take a lot of players to step up and take the pressure off of him for this range view uh, team to win more than one game. So there you go there. Well, that'll do for my part of this episode. I'm going to go ahead and throw it to Cody, who's going to finish off the second half of this episode. Good morning, evening, afternoon, or night for my PMC fam and Playmakers Corner listeners. I am your host for today's episode, or on this segment, I should say, of the Playmakers Corner podcast, Cody Stoffer. And, you know, following Simon's recap, we're going to talk about some recaps ourselves. And the recaps are going to be of the 3A Central West League from last year. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump right into it. And for each of these teams, what we are going to do is talk about last year's recap. And then following that, talk about the seniors who were important to that team last year and won't be returning this season and talk about some returning playmakers. And last but not least, talk about the wow, a.k.a. window of wins for this upcoming 2022 fall season. The very first team that I'm going to talk about is Battle Mountain, who last year, you know, it was tough for a few reasons, and ultimately that landed them at a 3-7 and seven record. But I think that losing so many close contests uh, weighed this team down. I'm looking at Week 2, where they lost in double overtime to Basalt, following a bigger loss to Evergreen. And right after that, they had a huge loss to Lutheran. They did win a fairly close game over Aspen that was a 2A squad, 43-34. I think that's one that, if it's ran back, you know, Aspen does have a chance of winning it. And then I'm looking at this one-point loss following that to Pueblo Central, 36-35. That's just morally tough, especially because, you know, Pueblo Central was up by as much as 25 points in the fourth quarter before before Battle Mountain battled right back into the game. And then following recovering an onside kick, they scored a touchdown and failed the two-point conversion to go for the win. Look, only a few weeks after playing a double overtime game, 
I'm not even pressed at the coaching staff for going for two in this situation. You don't want to be in another double overtime situation. That's just exhausting. So I don't blame them for going for the win, but obviously they did not get it. So they had to pack up their things and head back home to host Palisade. They lost to 28 to 17. Right after that, they did get an amazing one point win over Eagle Valley 21 to 20. And following that, kind of just alternated losses and wins for the rest of the season with a big loss to Summit 47-0, beat Steamboat Springs 40-7, and then losing to Glenwood Springs 48-14. So, interesting season for this Battle Mountain squad, for these Huskies, I should say. And the reason that they were able to be so competitive in a lot of these games, I mean... You look at one, two of these games were decided by a total of seven points. That's really not too bad. And you could easily flip the script on two of these games and end up with a five and five record. If the ball bounces a different way, if a player makes one more catch, if a player makes one more interception, right? So you can be a little bit more optimistic than you were uh, on that front. But the reason that... They were so successful, at least from the class of 2022 perspective, is you had Elijah Morales. Um, he he threw for 577 yards and ran for another 198 and was responsible for an even six touchdowns offensively, but also turned the ball over a little much. He did throw six picks last year. So you're losing a little bit of an athlete here at the quarterback position, but maybe, you know, get a better decision maker under center potentially um tanner roberts he was second on this squad in rushing with 378 yards and five rushing scores but even more impressively was that he led the team in receiving with 30 receptions for 459 yards out of elijah's like 577 that he threw that is obviously a big number one target that this husky fam will be missing heading into next season <clears throat> And, you know, while the Huskies will be bringing back some offensive talent that I'll talk about here in a second, for every offensive snap that they're returning, it feels like they're losing five-fold defensively. They'll be without their top four, one through four, leading tacklers from last season, five of their top six leading tacklers, and nine of their top 12 leading tacklers. It is brutal. No matter how you dice it up, there's a lot of talent on its way out whether it's at linebacker with Gant Sanders, who was the leading tackler with 100, whether it's on the line at edge in Marshall Jones, who led this team in tackles for loss with six. He also led this team in pass rush with five sacks and was the second leading tackler. Or in the second day where Tanner and Elijah combined for six of the team's 12 interceptions. You're also losing, you know, two more single interception guys. So this defense is going to have to replace a lot this year, which is a tough ask. Not to mention, another senior actually had three interceptions just by himself. That was Aaron Gaylor. Uh, so the pass defense is just taking tremendous losses here. And, you know, this wasn't a pass defense that was necessarily one to fear in the first place, if that makes sense. I mean, there were definitely instances where teams carved them up 
pretty good. I'm looking at the Summit game where they threw for 209 yards, five touchdowns, and no picks, right? So this Battle Mountain secondary was susceptible, and now they're losing guys who were able to turn the ball over with pretty pretty solid success. But, you know, like I said, I think offensively they're getting back some pretty good talent. Uh, you know, in limited action last year, Garrett Ast was, you know, a sophomore and he saw some snaps at quarterback. You know, on his 30 attempts, he completed 14 of them for 304 yards and two touchdowns to only a single interception. Looking at his film very specifically from the Pueblo Central game, he's got a cannon. He can push the ball downfield, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I think it can only go up from here because, like I said, very limited snaps. I think if he's able to establish a rhythm and really get into a groove, he could be someone who's potentially dangerous. He's also pretty athletic. He can make plays with his feet. Uh, he showed good footwork on picking up a couple of first downs, as well as rushing for a touchdown in his film as well. So I like the upside here of incoming junior Garrett Ast. And, you know, his life is going to be made a little bit easier because Kai Ogawa will probably be the focus of this offense. And hopefully he has less touches to share next season. He led the team in yards and rushing scores with 485 and 7 respectively. And in addition to that, he showed the ability to split out, catch passes, rip off big yards after catch, and, you know, head down the sideline, throw in some big jukes, some nice cuts, and just overall be a playmaker both in and out of the backfield. So I think that when you have a weapon like Kai, it's going to make life a lot easier for whoever's under center. And, you know, if you have a guy like Garrett, you can stretch the field really, really well. Um, in addition to the backfield, you know, I think that with Tanner gone, Kai will see more snaps handed off to him, but he doesn't have to be a complete bell cow. Orlando Castillo was a nice contributor in the backfield, being third on the team with 285 yards and three scores on just 56 carries. So really solid efficiency on not too large a production. So I think that he could be pretty fresh heading into this season. Now, looking at the defensive side of the ball, like I said, they are just losing an absurd amount of talent. But, you know, there's three players in that top 12. So one of them that I'm going to talk about is Keller Woodworth. Uh, he'll have his hands full. He was the only top five at five tackler to return following a season in which he didn't even quite reach 50. But... He's also an interception that's returning back to the defense. And, you know, the the only other tackler inside the top 10 is Garrett Ass, potentially, who recorded 40 tackles last year. So you're looking at your quarterback to make some plays, looking at Keller, who can kind of catch the ball on offense, but will have to step up tremendously on the defensive side of the ball to give this Battle Mountain squad a crying chance. And then last but not least, you got class of 2024 ball player uh, Dekanich, who had two turnovers last season, and he needs to up the ante with, you know, all the bleeding here in Battle Mountain to just slow it down. But unfortunately for the Huskies, their schedule has some serious offensive firepower, and I think that could spell trouble for a very inexperienced defense. They open the season once again against Evergreen that's led by Tommy Paholski. That aerial attack is probably going to dismantle Battle Mountain, and uh, that's that's going to be a tough game. Um, following that, 
They play 2A Basalt. Basalt is also a team that has a solid quarterback in Schneider and a solid aerial attack as well. And I think that they probably lose to Basalt for the second year in a row. I don't think they'll be without more struggles either because following that, they do play Mountain Range. They're a 5A team who is returning a lot of talent. That might be a coin toss just because Mountain Range does struggle a little bit, but I don't know if they're going to struggle beating Battle Mountain. After that, they play Aspen on the road, and I think Aspen actually bounces back and wins the one this year with the experience that they're returning at key offensive positions once again. So just reading the matchups there, that'll be tough. And it's on the road, so that's, that's a tough one there. If Naiwa is without their star player, as some rumblings have hinted, this could be the Huskies' best chance at winning a non-league game because following that, they do play Durango at the end of the season. I'm not sure if Durango is in this league, but it says non-league for all of them, so um, that's, that's something that I'm trying to get an eye on. But, you know, outside of their league, they have to embrace for a looming 1-5 record. And honestly, you know, maybe they beat Eagle Valley the next week on the road, but I don't know. I don't think they beat Glenwood Springs. I don't think they, I know they don't really beat Palisade or Summit or Durango. So window of wins for Battle Mountain, not very optimistic here. I'm looking at zero to two window of wins and I'm probably leaning towards currently a one and nine record probably and i wouldn't be surprised if it was 0 and 10. this is going to be a tough year for battle mountain last year was already a tough year and it just didn't get easier with the talent that they lost this past season this next squad here is probably also due for a fairly tough season that reflects you know a tough season from last year as well that's Eagle Valley. You know, the Devils of the Valley were a big case of close, but no cigar. To start the season, they did have three pretty big-time wins, including a double overtime win over Thomas Jefferson to start their season 38-30. Thomas Jefferson being a squad I talked about on Wednesday's episode that just has a very powerful run game. So that was good. Then a huge win over Niwot, 48-12, before a 38-26 double overtime win over University of Greeley. That, well, not University of Greeley, but the University High School, located in Greeley, I should say, who was a 2A contender and heavyweight. This all came crashing to a halt here as they did get rocked by Frederick, 42-16, and this would be the beginning of the end here because following that they would not win a single game and they would lose their next two contests by a combined two points you heard that right they lose to steamboat springs 31 to 30 and they lose to battle mountain 21 to 20 so they're not quite able to close those out glenwood springs wins by 15 before they once again lose by a single point to summit 23 to 22 and then close their season with a loss to Palisade, ending the Eagle Valley season at three and six. So lots of close losses here, but you know, looking at some graduating seniors, I'm looking at Eric uh, Hasley here, 
Michael Parker, who thrived in a moving scheme on defense at their respective positions and showed opportunistic playmaking defensively. Honestly, Michael Parker is also somebody that you're losing on the offensive side of the ball at tackle. So it hurts to lose a versatile lineman like that. And, you know, offensively, they'll also be without their big time senior playmaker and signal caller, Will Guyman, who threw for 12 scores last year and added another 17 on the ground while turning the ball over very little. I'm surprised that this team didn't win more games until you realize that the only player who ran for over 200 yards and all of the 19 rushing scores were seniors. Um, so they're just losing everyone who had touches and touchdowns last year, basically. And, you know, those other seniors were Eric Peterson, who on top of his 309 rushing yards was the leading receiver at 427 yards and five scores. And then another senior opposite of Peterson was Hasley, like I was talking about, who had four touchdowns and recorded 231 yards on 11 catches. So not only was Hasley a dog on the defensive side of the ball, but on offense, he was somebody else who could get open, catch touchdowns, and produce through the air. And so how are they going to try and replace all this talent? I'm not quite sure, especially because, you know, missing out on quality snaps on the defensive side of the ball is very important for this Eagle Valley squad who runs a hybrid moving front. Now, this throws off a lot of teams. It's a really good look against, you know, up and coming QBs, but it doesn't matter if you don't have the experience and the football IQ to run it, right? So they're getting some serious turnover on both sides of the ball. They will be returning Caden Kraft, who was absurdly efficient on offense with, you know, receptions with 40 yards, averaging 40 yards a reception with only three and finding pay dirt on one of those three receptions. And then Julius Peterson was the largest contributor on the ground from outside the 22 class. It was coupled with sophomore Peter Boyd, but those guys, Boyd and Peterson, that is combined for over 300 yards. And, you know, this year will be a huge test of how far a scheme can take. Last year, it took them to a 3-0 start before a skid for the rest of the season. They dropped their next six games, like I said. Granted, you know, Frederick Steamboat, those are good teams. Battle Mountain, uh, you know, that game could have gone either way, obviously, with, with the one point there. that losing to Glenwood Springs. I'm surprised that they played Summit as close as they did, honestly. And I would be surprised if they were able to duplicate that close level of play. And they have a really tough schedule this year, too. They start off their home opener against Basalt. You know, if if they come out and surprise and win against Basalt, they are at home. But that's not what I'm projecting. I actually think I'm projecting the opposite of last year of a 3-0 star. I'm projecting an 0-3 star, where they lose to Basalt, Delta, and Evergreen before they might have a chance of beating Conifer on the road. Right after that, they do lose to Northridge. I just don't see a universe where they beat this Northridge squad that I've labeled as a contender for the 3A state championship. Then after that, they play Battle Mountain. This is a game that they can potentially win for sure um, because both these teams are in a very similar boat, in my opinion. I do think that Battle Mountain is returning a little bit more offensively, so, you know... That we'll call that a push, basically. After that, they probably don't win a game for the rest of the season. I don't know if they have. I don't think they can beat Palisade on the road. 
I don't think they could beat Durango at home. I don't think that they could beat Glenwood Springs, and I don't think that they could beat Summit. So, you know, worst case scenario, well, worst case scenario, you could win zero games if Conifer comes to play against you and if Battle Mountain comes to play. You could win zero games. I don't think that's likely, but I think that even on the high end, they could probably only win three of these games. I'm looking at the Basalt game, I'm looking at the Conifer game, and I'm looking at the Battle Mountain game. So best, best, best case scenario, you go three and seven. So you play one more game than last year. You have one more game scheduled this year than you did last year. But, uh, you know, I think that two and eight is probably a more likely ending to their season, which just is kind of tough. They're, like I said, losing Will Guyman is pretty tough for their offense. He was a do-it-all kind of guy. And yeah, it's you're not just going to find a replacement for that overnight. Um, yeah, that's it's tough, but but that's what it is. But somebody who is getting a big time playmaker back under center is the Glenwood Spring squad. And so when before we jump into this year, looking back to last year, it was a tough year. They played two seasons last year. Don't forget that they did play in the spring, right? So, you know, they went undefeated during the regular season of the spring, won a playoff game, and then found themselves in a tight game where they lost to Rifle in the state championship. So, Or not in the state championship, but lost to Rifle in the second round of the playoffs. Rifle would then go on to play TCA, of course. But, you know... They, they played that spring season and then turned right back around and their second season started on August 27th. And, you know, it got off to a very promising start. They thwapped uh, Harrison High School 41-14. to That was a team that we were pretty high on because of just the monsters that they had on the line of scrimmage. And Glenwood overcame that and ran circles around this team. Then they avenged their playoff loss from the spring with a 13-7 win over Rifle. And then each game progressively gets a little bit closer, not necessarily in score, but just in back and forth banter here because 41-14 Harrison, 13-7 Rifle, and then 35-27 Conifer. That's still a one-score win before they just go on a really rough slide here in the middle of their season. They lose to 2A Basalt here, 34-14. They lose to Roosevelt at home and Summit on the road by a combined 83 to nothing, where their defense allows over 40 and their offense just can't get anything going against uh, either of these teams that have superb athletes. But honestly, <sighs> Glenwood Springs dealt with a lot of injuries this past year, so... I see that presenting itself in those two games very specifically. And they just can't get out of this rut as they lose to Steamboat in Steamboat 28 to 27. So that one point loss, just you hate to see it. It's just not a good place to be. Uh, dropping these, you know, four games in a row here in the middle of the season. Something finally gave though, they, they beat Eagle Valley on the road 35-20 before losing to Palisade 27-14 that effectively you know, ends their season here with just how they fare in league. And then they beat Battle Mountain at home to close their season on a high note, 
48 to 14. But like I said, players were hurt, so they didn't have a consistent squad through and through. I think that's why you see this offense go from scoring 41 to 13 to 35 to 14 to zero, two weeks in a row. And then they score 27 points, but the defense is still just a sieve in the sand, allowing 28 points following weeks that saw them allow 34, 42, and 41. So, you know, you look at the majority of these losses here, you look at three of these losses of this of the five that they had, they allowed over 30 points. And the two other losses, they allowed almost 30 points here, 28 to Steamboat and 27 to Palisade. You could probably just call those 20. That's just way too many points to be giving up. And they're gonna have to clean up defensively if they are to fare a little bit better. And that's gonna be a little bit tough because they are losing some serious defensive talent. I'm thinking of Teddy Huttenhauer, who led this team in tackles and you know averaged double digit tackles per game. He was an absolute monster in that rifle game very specifically. I think he even won playmaker of the week potentially in that rifle game just for flying all over the field and helping slow down this rifle rushing attack that only you know six months prior to this was so lethal, right? So you're losing a solid linebacker in Teddy Huttenhauer. You're also losing a very versatile safety in Blake Neslanik. Now, while Blake was hurt for a majority of the season last year, and you know that plays a role in some of the struggles offensively and defensively, he's still a next level talent. I watched his film, broke it down from like a safety perspective as well as a wide receiver perspective, and he's just very, very athletic and instinctual. So, you know, Blake is going to get a chance to compete for a roster spot over at Western Colorado, and I think that he has a fairly solid chance, honestly, for getting a spot down there in Gunnison. So losing next level talent always stinks. Blake, you know, in a short time did account for some interceptions in the defensive backfield. And then you're also losing offensively, you know, Ray, he did play some defense, but you know, offensively you're losing a do-it-all guy, kind of like Blake Neeslanik, but on that next level and Ray Risen Merkel, who, you know, had a 700 plus yard season and scored five times offensively between rushing and catching the ball. That's just that's just a lot of talent to be losing, or you know, at least some big names at very important positions. But you know, coming back to the fold, you do have some interesting players here. You got Alex Cruz at guard, you know, five foot eleven, two hundred and sixty pounds. He's going to be a senior this year on the offensive line. Jake Croissant, a two hundred and five pound tackle who is a junior, that's nice size to be bringing back. So right off the get-go, you have some big bodies where you can throw them in there and expect some success. And then, you know, I think one of the guys who really caught my eye was at middle linebacker to fill Teddy's shoes and maybe even go beyond what his capabilities were was Mason Markovich at He's 5'11", 200 pounds, is only a sophomore, and was top four in recorded tackles per game last year. And I think that he's going to end up being a four-year starter for Glenwood. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up getting some carries out of the backfield, potentially, but he should be a leader for this defense. You know, maybe not as a sophomore, he gains that vocally, but if everyone sees what he's capable of, he could be a very dangerous dude for these next three years in Glenwood. But I think that the biggest story here returning to Glenwood 
and the biggest tool in their shed is junior quarterback Joaquin Sandoval, whose touch and athleticism allows him to make a handful of throws and plays that few across the state really can. You know, his legs picked up a handful of rushing touchdowns, and his accuracy work this offseason can really elevate his offense. I actually broke down his film on a Twitch stream, and that is episode number 162, I want to say. Yeah, episode 162. So go ahead and find that, whether you watch it on YouTube or whether you look it up anywhere you listen to podcasts for a full breakdown on his film. I had a blast watching it, and it has me very excited for this Glenwood team heading into this season. But, you know, their schedule, it's going to be tough. I'm not even going to lie. Obviously, this league is a very competitive league. But, you know, I think that they could be heading into league with a potential 3-1 start. I think that they have a decent shot of beating Grand Junction on the road to start the season. I like their odds of beating Conifer and beating Rifle for the second season in a row. Granted, this is, you know, a couple of 2A teams in the mix to start here. They also play Basalt on the road. This could be a shootout, but one that I favor Basalt in just because of the other weapons that they have returning to help out uh, Schneider at quarterback. So, you know, I think that Basalt probably wins that game. And then once they're in the league, I like their odds of beating Battle Mountain here. So, you know, that puts them at a solid 4-1 and one spot here before running into the buzzsaw of Durango. I think that Durango wins that game. So that puts them at like 4-2. and two. But then I think that they alternate here, uh, just alternate in general, uh, Battle Mountain, then they lose two actually to Durango and Summit. So that kind of dips them down to four and three. They definitely should be Eagle Valley. I have no doubt in my mind about that. And then they probably lose to a very powerful Palisade squad. And that lands them in my prediction at five and four, but uh, with a window of wins of four to six, Maybe they sneak one over this Summit team, or maybe they drop a surprise one to Grand Junction to start the season. But overall, they just need a couple of more pieces to really make this thing work. I think that obviously they have the answer under center, but other than that, there's just way too many question marks for me to project this team higher in this upcoming season. The last two teams here are the ones who were competing for this league last year, who finished first and second in this league last year. And the one who just finished a hair shy was the Summit Tigers here. You know, they had one of the best records of a team to miss the playoffs. Their season had a bumpy start with a tough whooping from Delta. But following that, they got two quick wins against Skyview and Aspen, including a 56 to nothing thrown in there. They then lost a shootout to Kennedy from Denver Prep, 35 to 22, in what was probably a pretty surprising loss, but then bounced back from this with two games where they scored 41 points against Middle Park and Glenwood Springs. And then I remember talking about this game last year and saying whoever wins this game is probably going to win this league between Palisade and Summit here. And that was exactly true. You know, this was a very close game, it was a three point game, even. And, you know, Summit, they were up 26 to 21 heading into the fourth quarter. But then Palisade scored a touchdown here in the fourth and obviously converted 
that two point conversion to make it a 29 to 26 final score. Malachi Espinosa getting the game winning touchdown run with just about four minutes left. So tough loss to a really good Palisade squad. And then after that, they rattled off three wins to end their season at seven and three. And, you know, I think that looking ahead to next season, um, scheduling tougher games at home might be beneficial because, I mean, they were undefeated at home, perfect 5-0. and It was only on the road where they showed some blemishes. But, you know, some, it's a very interesting, I think, you know, middle-of-the-road case of graduating talent and returning talent. You know, I think the largest loss here is quite obviously Aiden Collins, who was a do-it-all, everything guy for Summit. You know, he ran for a team high, 579 yards on only 68 carries and eight touchdowns, but was even more lethal as a wide receiver with solid route running, a good-sized route tree, ability to get upfield, and display that with his 59 receptions going for 924 yards and 10 touchdowns. As if he wasn't a big-time threat on the offensive side of the ball, on defense, he could also take over games. He was the leader on defense with six turnovers, four interceptions, and two formal recoveries, and led the team in tackles with 76. And to no one's surprise, following his dominance on offense and defense, I, I don't think you should be surprised at least when I tell you that he was the leader on special teams with about 350 return yards as well. So they're losing just a very big Swiss army knife that was in their arsenal. And that's not the only big loss, but it is easily the biggest loss. There's also a senior complimenting Aiden in the run game. His name was Alex Sanchez, added another 567 yards, so not too big of a difference between him and Collins. And he also ran for seven scores. So, you know, almost tied that team lead for rushing touchdowns. And in the receiving game, his partner in crime was Philip Berenczynski, oh my goodness, um, who had 39 receptions and nearly 600 yards and four scores. So they're very similar in average yards per reception. They were both just a little bit over 15. So you're losing two good time receiving threats. You're losing a lot of snaps in the backfield, which is tough. And then defensively, you know, on top of losing Aiden, you're losing stud Jackson Siegel. He, he recorded 52 tackles, four of which ended up in the backfield. And, you know, other seniors who were in the backfield getting tackles for loss, including KJ Slaw and Graham Kayla. Those, that same trio ended up in the quarterback's face most often with a combined 13 sacks out of the Tigers' 23 total. Defensively, you're also losing uh, Malachi Ryan, who is versatile in the fact that he had an interception, a fumble recovery, and also caused two fumbles in just eight games that were recorded. And, you know, uh, Cyrus Marsteller was tied with Aiden Collins for most fumbles recovered at two. So you're losing heads up playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. You're losing some big hits. You're losing a lot of yards offensively. Why am I still so optimistic about Summit? Well, they have guys returning on all levels on both sides of the ball. I think that first and foremost, somebody that I'm going to keep a huge eye on this year is six foot four, 270 pound giant Eli Krawchuk, uh, or Krawzuk, I guess. Um, correct me if I'm saying that wrong, who, you know, had... 10 tackles for loss last year 
He'll be the anchor of this defense after dominating both sides of the line and making All-State honorable mention. Um, you know, I think that he's a first or second team All-State caliber player, in all honesty. He just moves very, very well on the offensive side of the ball. He's able to pull and generate holes, and he has a lot of force whenever he is blocking someone. He had a handful of pancakes on his film that I watched, and he just moves very well laterally. And then defensively, you know, he has a huge motor. He can track people downfield, and he's pretty fast for his size, honestly. And it's just a, mitch, a mismatch, I should say, on the interior of the defensive line. So Eli is going to be a game wrecker this year. Uh, Zachary Elam, I think, is the next athlete in line to make big plays in the shoes of Aiden Collins. No, last year he was second in interceptions with three. He also caused two forced fumbles. So, you know, doing a lot of those same things as far as physicality and as far as athleticism that some of the guys from last year were able to do. And, uh, you know, he also could play a plethora of pieces in the secondary. He could play outside corner, he could play safety, and he could play nickel corner too. I think that he's actually one of the best nickel corners in the state probably, which is insane since he's six foot three, 200 pounds. And, uh, you know, also being an inside the box linebacker kind of guy, but he can cover very well. He's very instinctual. And two of his interceptions, he took back to the house. Um, he does this by baiting quarterbacks, making them think that he doesn't have the step that he needs to, and then just jumping the ball or, you know, making a heads up catch when the quarterback is under pressure or getting hurried. So he's, he's very heads up. He's a very smart football player. And he's also someone who's going to be very hard to contain on the offensive side of the ball. He made some great catches down the field last year. His speed is a mismatch for linebackers that try and cover him out of the tight end spot. And he's a very solid blocker too. He's another guy who had a couple of pancakes on the second level against some linebackers and can also pick up some of the slack on the line. But, you know, between him being at six foot three and another incoming senior, Jack Hodge, at six foot, he should provide the returning quarterback with some very solid targets heading into the season. Last but not least, I'm talking about uh, Keaton Smith, who is the leading tackler amongst non-seniors. He collected 44 tackles in just seven games last season. So with, with potentially a healthy 10 games, he could go over 100, especially if they end up in the postseason. And so there's, there's just a handful of reasons there to be optimistic about the Summit Tigers. But I think that the guy returning under center is special. Uh, Jack Shearholz, um, he's someone whose film I watched last season, and his arm power is something out of the ordinary. He rocketed 23 touchdowns to only 9 INTs, including a long of 77, but, you know, was also somebody who could rip off long runs. He had a long run of 53 being just one of his 72 attempts for 431 yards and another six scores. So almost a 30 touchdown scorer. And, you know, with a good offense, line, and quarterback intact with the defense returning some talent, Summit should be in the postseason this upcoming fall. What does the path to that look like? Well, let's go ahead and take a look at the schedule. First week, they have a home game against Woodland Park. They definitely should win this. And they have a home game against Thompson Valley. I can see this potentially being a contest just because of what Thompson Valley has up front in that, you know, defensive line, as well as the offensive line. It'll be a battle in the trenches for sure, and one to keep an eye on. I also think that, you know, so that's a coin toss. Then they should beat Conifer. I have faith in them beating Wheat Ridge, and then I have faith in them beating Lincoln. 
So you could see them at 4-1, and one, or you could see them at 5-0 and oh, heading into a handful of these league games. I don't know if they can beat Durango on the road. Uh, Durango's just a tough draw, and they're a legit state contender, I want to say. So, you know, they're returning a lot of talent that was already very successful last year. They already have the playoff experience, so I think that Durango takes that one. And uh, then, you know, they're in a very similar spot as they were last year as far as facing Palisade. They could go into this game with easily a 5-2 and two record, or 5-1 and one record, I should say, or a 4-2 and two record. And so this Palisade game will be very, very big. And, you know, I, I think that if they can beat Palisade, the rest of their league, well, whether they beat Palisade or not, is very winnable. Uh, the WoW is wider than most, but, you know, the most games that they could possibly lose is four. I think worst case scenario, if you're Summit, you end up with a six and four season and you're a little bummed out. But I could also see them losing as little as one game uh, if it's only Durango. Durango's the only one that I don't see them beating, honestly. So I put a window of wins of six to nine, which is a wide range, but I have faith in Summit. Uh, but faith won't do, do no good against the Bulldogs. If they happen to only lose to Durango and Palisade, I think that they could be 8-2 and two and still make the playoffs depending on how they perform against some of these other teams and just strength of schedule. I think that 8-2 and two should be enough to punch a ticket to the postseason this year. And for the last team on today's episode is someone who did punch a ticket last year to the postseason. I am talking about the Palisade Bulldogs here. You know... The champ from last year's league challenged themselves really early with an away game against defending state champ Rifle that they won massively 35-3. Following that, they played 4A Grand Junction Central, who they lost to 12-8, which is honestly not even that bad of a loss. Then they beat a 2A squad in Delta 2010, and then balanced that out by facing the number one seed in all of 4A from last year, Montrose, who they lost to 35-7. And so after this 2-2 two two start, it was pretty uncertain on where this Bulldog team was going to go, but they knew their destiny. They rattled off two quick wins against Conifer and Battle Mountain, 42-21 and 28-17, before, you know, facing Summit. Once again, this is a game where I was like, okay, this will determine whoever wins this league, and I was exactly right. They were down by five heading into the fourth quarter, and Malachi Espinosa, who I will talk about more here in a second, um ran for a touchdown with about four minutes left and got the two-point conversion so that they could beat Summit 29-26. to And after that, it was pretty smooth sailing, um, no pun intended, as they beat the Sailors 62-26 uh, to the next week. And then uh, Glenwood Springs and Eagle Valley were two quick wins that they picked up on the way to punching their ticket to the postseason. So it looks like they had a 7-2 and or no, 8-2 and two record before heading into the postseason. And, you know, in the postseason, they got a playoff win. They beat Pueblo East 35-21. to 21. I think that, obviously, any year you win a playoff game, it doesn't really matter who it's against, but it's very impressive. And, you know, in that game, this rushing attack went ballistic, as they did all year, running for 347 yards, headlined by senior Franklin Barks' 113 yards. But regardless... They still ran rampant against this Pueblo East team and, uh, you know, played solid enough defense to, to to win this game 35-21, to 21, obviously. So, 
kudos to them before falling to Parker in the second round. Or not Parker, but Lutheran of Parker in the second round. That's just a tough draw. Uh, Lutheran was a powerhouse last year, and you know they very easily could have been in the state game and could have won state as well. So no shame there. And uh, let's go ahead and turn our attention to some of the seniors who contributed. I think Franklin Barks was the name that I mentioned. He ran for over 100 yards in that Pueblo East game. And, you know, he was a solid contributor in the rushing attack. He wasn't one of the top guys per se, but, you know, he was still somebody who could get it done on the ground, rushing for 680 yards and seven scores. And, uh, you know, defensively, Franklin was even more crucial uh, since, you know, he collected four interceptions in just nine games and deflected two passes on the way. Additionally, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, you can't talk about Palisade without Kevin Sorgren. Uh, he recorded 161 tackles, definitely leading Palisade, but also pacing the state. Um, averaging 13 a game, intercepting passes, clobbering opposing running backs, getting to the quarterback. And, you know, being a receiving threat on the offensive side of the ball as well at tight end. And so, you know, his massive size at six foot five, six foot six will be so useful to a Wyoming squad. So they lost a D1 caliber linebacker here. That's always a tough replacement. And then Aaron Harris was the only first team All-State player on this team. He was a mobster in the trenches, earning, you know, uh, open holes and creating open lanes with this rushing attack while also clogging holes on the defensive side to the tune of 48 tackles on the defensive side of the ball. So they're not graduating a ton of big time contributors, but the ones that they are graduating were seriously really good. Um, you know, Kevin, Aaron, and Franklin, all very good on the defensive side of the ball. So the defense might take a step back next year, but maybe they don't because Rhett Ward was at middle linebacker last year. And, you know, as a junior, he collected 135 tackles and averaged 11.3 per game. That is not that huge of a gap, and you still have a tackler over the century mark, which is impressive, as always, to have more than one guy collect 100 tackles. So you're getting some good talent there. He's a do-it-all guy himself in the ability of getting two sacks and an interception, but also what he was able to do offensively. You know, he's one of the heads of this Cerebrus Bulldog attack here. And, you know, offensively, he ran for 836 yards, and he basically got a touchdown for every 100 yards or so. But, you know, there's some tiers to this, and so the second tier, the next step up from Rhett offensively was junior phenom Phelan Salvati, who cracked 1,000 yards and double-digit touchdowns, and also had the longest rushing touchdown of the Palisade backfield this year, which is saying something, you know, I think that all three of these guys are potentials to rip off really big runs, punch it in themselves, a good combination of speed and power in all three of these guys, but Phelan ripped off the longest run of 76 yards. And I wanna say it was actually the longest play for Palisade offensively this past year as well. But believe it or not, there's still one more guy who finished ahead of Phelan in carries, yards, and scores, and that'll be incoming senior Malachi Espinosa, multiple-time playmaker of the week kind of guy. He eclipsed the 100-yard mark in eight games in a season that saw him run for 1,162 yards and almost reached 20 touchdowns. But fear not, he did eclipse that 20-total touchdown 
mark by passing for an additional three. And, you know, this offseason, I've been able to see his work in the weight room as well. He's just getting even more powerful and strong. His squat is insane. His bench is insane. And he's going to be very punishing along with Ward and Salvati forming the Bulldog Cerebrus, um, or Cerberus backfield that will get them back potentially to the postseason. But, you know, looking ahead to this 2022 schedule, this is a brutal schedule. Like, holy crap, why did they schedule this was my initial reaction. I mean, to start the season, they have on the road Roosevelt, who is, you know, a 3A contender. Then they get Delta at home. Delta is significantly improved from last season, honestly. And they have a really solid quarterback. So while I ex expect Palisade to win this, I don't think it'll be a super easy win over a 2A squad. Then they have back-to-back 4A games. They play Montrose on the road and Golden at home. Now, I don't know about the golden head coach or where they're going to be a month in, but they still have one of the best senior quarterbacks in the state in Giselle Riley. So you got to be really careful in this four-game stretch because there is potential that you go 0-4 if you're stumbling and messing around and finding out. Uh, then following that in league play, they will for sure have a win over Eagle Valley. I, I think that they could beat Golden and they can beat Delta. So, you know... Say they go 3-2 and two heading into the tough part of their league play. They have that big game against Summit. I'd say that this is a must-win game for Palisade, especially with where I see them being in the season. Dropping to 3-3 three and three almost guarantees that you will not have a spot in the playoffs, no matter what you do down the stretch, right? Um, unless their strength of schedule helps them sneak in as like a 16 seed, and they would be a very good 16 seed at that. But, you know, say they beat the Tigers for a second year in a row, they ride it into a little three-game win streak, Eagle Valley Summit and Battle Mountain. I don't think that they beat Durango on the road, and then I think that they could possibly end the season with a win over Glenwood Springs. This wow on the low end could be crippling if they stumble out to an 0-4 start. They'll probably be 3-7 and to finish, but I more realistically see a 5-4 and or 4-5 and schedule. They might be able to win six games, but, you know, I want to see them in the postseason. I think that they could potentially pull off an upset against Golden if they keep the ball out of Giselle Riley's hands. And if the Golden defense is as porous as it was last year, this rushing attack could really go ballistic and just keep Giselle watching from the sidelines for the most of the game. That's a fairly winning strat. They also have a solid enough defense, I would say, to snuff out a potential run game that Golden's building. But, you know, that's best case scenario. They're probably one and three out of this gate. Beat Eagle Valley two and three. Say they beat Summit three and three, four and three Battle Mountain, four and four, five and four Glenwood Springs. So five and four or four and five, depending on how they play the Summit Tigers. And yeah, that's that's my outlook for Palisade. They have some in talent, incredibly talented athletes in the backfield, but we'll see how it matches up against this grim reaper of a schedule. But that'll do it for today's episode of the Playmakers Corner podcast. Once again, you are probably listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Be sure to give us a good rating or anchor and subscribe or follow so you get notifications for all of our latest episodes. If you don't want to be plagued by those notifications, go ahead and find us on social media where we post announcements of all of our newest episodes, whether that's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, 
we post on all those. We also post on TikTok, you know, quick little clips of these recaps. So be sure to tune into those. We're also posting on YouTube Reels as well. And then go ahead and find us on Twitch and YouTube. Subscribe, like, follow us on those so that you can be ready for all of our latest content. But thanks so much for rocking with us. I've been your host, Cody Stoffer for the second half of this episode and have a good weekend.